Hiya, this is K. Ray Reads to You, Episode 5. We started Chapter 4 of the Saturdays in the last episode, but it was long, so I stopped about halfway through, and now I will continue. If you'll remember, Mona was out on her special Saturday, and she went to a hairdresser and is getting her hair done, and the woman who works at the hairdresser, Miss Pearl, is telling Mona all about her interesting childhood, when she ran away from home with her brother. I'll back up just a little bit. So here's uh, the Saturdays, Chapter 4, Part 2. Well, it's all so long ago. Miss Pearl laughed self-consciously. Seems like a dream now. Anyway, the next day we found a boarding house way downtown on the east side, and they didn't care what we looked like, and it was cheap, so they took us in. We felt fine. It seemed to us like our money would last forever, and we bought some new clothes, as grown-up looking as we could get, and then spent about a week going around seeing the sights, boat rides, Statue of Liberty, the zoo, the aquarium, up to the top of the Empire State Building, just about everything. Dip the other hand, dear. It must have been fun, Mona said. Yes, it was fun. But then our money began getting low, and we got scared. Perry looked for jobs everywhere, so did I, but it was summertime, and nobody seemed to be hiring anybody, and then, like I say, we probably looked too young and green. We lived for weeks on crackers and oranges. Perry got sick, too, and we didn't dare get a doctor. We were too poor, and anyway we were worried that they'd find out about us and ship us home or something. Poor Perry just had to get well by himself. My, we were scared, though. All through this tale, Miss Pearl continued to smile happily. She looks well-fed now, thank goodness, Mona thought. And in the end it was me who got the first job. It was a little one-horse beauty parlor up in the Bronx. Naturally, I let them think I was a lot older than I was. They needed a girl to sweep and clean up and hold pins, things like that. That's how I got interested in the business. Then Perry, he got a job as an office boy. Everything was okay after that. It seemed like I spent half my life in the subway, and at first it made me carsick every time. At night my feet nearly killed me. Perry had a hard time, too. Everybody kidded him all the time because he was green. But none of those things mattered. We were just kids, we had our health, and we'd got away from something we hated. We were earning our own livings decently, and, gee, we felt like a couple of Christopher Columbuses or something. It seemed to us like nobody'd ever done such a thing before. "'Quite a little story, Pearl,' said Mr. Edward, tying a net over Mona's snailed-up hair. "'Quite a little story, isn't it, Lorna? What they call a human interest story.' "'Well, I think it's wonderful,' said Mona fervently. "'The most adventurous thing I ever did was come here and get my hair cut.' I think it's a wonderful story. Mr. Edward wheeled in one of the bell-shaped dryers that Mona had noticed in the other room. It grew on a tall stem like a gigantic lily and had a long tendril of wire. Mr. Edward adjusted the bell over Mona's head, snapped a switch, and released a small warm tempest that swarmed suddenly through her hair and filled her ears with a gentle roaring. Miss Pearl leaned forward, asking a question that Mona couldn't hear. She supposed it was something about whether or not she was comfortable, and nodded her head absently. There she sat in her small windy cave, staring at Miss Pearl's long eyelashes against her cheek, and the contented smile that curved her lips. 
Her face looked pretty and a little bit foolish, and yet she was brave and strong and adventurous, and had worked hard since she was a little child. Sometimes people are not the way they look, thought Mona. It was a great surprise. She was so absorbed in these reflections that it came as a frightful shock when Miss Pearl gave her back one of her hands to look at. All five nails had been painted red as blood. Mona was horrified and fascinated at the same time. Cuffy would faint dead away if she ever saw them, but they were so beautiful, like little red shells, or curved rubies, or even drops of sealing wax, but nothing at all like fingernails. And here's an illustration in the book of Mona sitting under one of those big old fashioned metal hair dryers with Miss Pearl working on her nails next to her. After all, I can take it off when I get home, Mona told herself. I'll just keep them this way till I get back and look at them once in a while. They're perfect, she said, and Miss Pearl's smile was more pleased than ever as she began on the other hand. By and by, when Mona's hair was cooked enough, she reached over and switched off the tempest. In the sudden clear stillness, Mona could hear the lady in booth twelve telling someone about how she'd eaten something that disagreed with her. Well, my dear, I was in agony, she was saying. Absolute agony and hives. Well, I had hives the size of fifty cent pieces all over me. I kept wondering, could it have been the lobster? But my husband, Mr. Ellenbogen, said, Why, Grace, you know lobsters never affect you. Then I wondered maybe it was that rich dessert. That's what I think it must have been, that rich dessert. Maybe it was the combination, observed a patient voice. No, I think it was the dessert. You know I almost never eat dessert, said the woman, as if this were a fact of the most vital interest. There we are, honey, Miss Pearl said. "'wheeling away the dryer and beginning to take the hairpins out. "'I feel like a baked potato,' Mona remarked, "'and I look a lot like one, too.' "'Now you just wait, honey,' Miss Pearl told her. "'You just wait till we get rid of these old pins "'and Mr. Edward combs you out. "'You won't know yourself.' "'And it was true. Ten minutes later, after Mr. Edward had combed "'and brushed and snipped and fussed over her hair,' Mona did not know herself. Great curls and puffs and ringlets frothed above her shoulders and on her forehead. The result exceeded her wildest expectations. She was awed by the beauty of it. Why, I could go into the movies this minute, she thought. Only what would Cuffy say? Honey, you're a picture, exclaimed Miss Pearl, clasping her hands in admiration. I bet you somebody's going to cause quite a sensation when she goes home. I bet her daddy won't know her. He'll be tickled to death. Mona had a small pang of misgiving when she thought of father. Tickled to death wasn't exactly what she expected him to be, but maybe he'd like it when he got used to it. Yes, indeed, little lady, Mr. Edward was saying. You are definitely the sub-deb type. Definitely. Just remember I told you so, Myra. Mona wasn't exactly sure of what he meant by sub-deb type, but she supposed it was a compliment, so she said thank you and shook hands with both him and Miss Pearl. 
Even the tang goddess at the desk cracked her mask with a smile. "'You look real cute, dear,' she said. "'That'll be a dollar fifty. "'Well, that took the last penny in Mona's purse, "'and it was a long way home, but never mind. "'All over the city lights were coming on in the purple-blue dusk. "'The street lights looked delicate and frail, "'as though they might suddenly float away from their lamp-posts like balloons. "'Long twirling ribbons of light— Red, green, violet were festooned about the doorways of drugstores and restaurants, and the famous electric signs of Broadway had come to life with glittering fish, dancing figures, and leaping fountains, all flashing like fire. Everything was beautiful. Up in the deepening sky above the city the first stars appeared, white and rare as diamonds. The curls bounced on Mona's shoulders. They blew softly, silkily against her cheek, and inside her gloves she could feel the ten red fingernails sparkling light-heartedly. It was a long walk home, but Mona was carried swiftly on a tide of joy. It's something to discover that you're going to grow up beautiful instead of ugly. The first person she saw when she got home was Willie Sloper, shambling through the front hall on his way to father's study. Something was probably wrong with the furnace again. "'Hello, miss,' he said. "'You looking for someone? "'Why, why, Mona, what you been and done to yourself?' "'Don't you like it, Willie?' "'I don't know, Mona. "'Maybe I do. "'I ain't sure. "'I kind of liked them plats of yours.' "'Oh, well, Willie doesn't know anything,' Mona told herself. "'All the same, she tiptoed up the stairs to the top floor.' It was Randy's week to take care of the office, and Mona was fairly sure of finding her alone. She was right. Music was pouring out of the radio, and Randy was performing the role of Cinderella in an imaginary ballet. She went leaping and pirouetting around the room, flapping the dust-cloth along the shelves. Pleasure combined with work whenever possible was Randy's idea. Mona pulled off her hat. "'Look at me,' she ordered." Randy paused in the middle of an arabesque. "'Good night! Why, Jiminy Crickets! Why, gee whiz! Why, Mona! You look wonderful, but how did you ever dare? What will Father say? What will Cuffy say?' "'Well, it's too late for anybody to say anything,' Mona retorted. She was feeling a little scared, but it wouldn't do to let Randy know it. "'Look,' she said, pulling something out of her pocket. It was the shining, heavy bundle of shorn hair. Marilyn and all the other dolls can have new wigs, and we'll save what's left over to make mustaches for plays. Randy's delight was the last pleasant thing about Mona's afternoon. After that everything was horrible, absolutely horrible. Father could hardly believe that she had done such a thing without consulting him. Cuffy was frankly disgusted, and Rush said, "'Jeepers!' You look just like everybody, any of those dumb high school girls that walk along the street screaming and laughing and bumping into people. Why couldn't you have waited a while? Oliver was the only one who reacted favorably. He said that she looked exactly like the blue fairy in Pinocchio, and Mona gave him a grateful hug. And then the nail polish wouldn't come off. No matter how she scrubbed with soap and water, the ten red nails continued to glitter unscathed. She tried cold cream and cleaning fluid, even peroxide. 
By the time Cuffy blew the two blasts on the police whistle which meant dinner, Mona was in a panic. She couldn't eat dinner with her gloves on, and she was too hungry to go without it. She went reluctantly down the stairs with red cheeks and her hands in her pockets. It was a very difficult meal. Everyone kept looking at her as if she were a stranger, but the red fingernails were what bothered her the most. The left hand could be kept the left hand could be kept hidden under the napkin in her lap, but the right hand was another matter. She tried holding her fork with all the fingers curved under, which is almost impossible to do, and prayed that nobody would notice. But naturally, the prayer was not worthy of an answer. Mona said, "Father, suddenly, what on earth is the matter with your hand? Have you hurt it? Open it out and let me see." Mona opened her hand. The five red nails were bright as stoplights, and she wished that she knew how to faint at will. "Good Lord!" said Father, and choked on his coffee. Rush gave a long, rude whistle. "Vanity," he said pompously. "Thy name sure is woman." Randy just looked shocked and kept on eating. And Cuffy made a snapping noise with her tongue against her teeth and shook her head as if she couldn't believe her eyes. What in heaven's name has got into you, Mona? Inquired Father, red-faced from choking. I never thought you were silly or vain. When you are eighteen years old, if you want to go in for that sort of thing, it will be all right, I suppose. But not now. There's no way we can bring your braids back. But at least we don't have to put up with those talons. I want you to take that red business off your nails immediately after dinner. It won't come off," said Mona miserably. "I tried. It has to wear off." "I'll get it off all right," said Cuffy grimly. "There's plenty of things I can try—gasoline or sandpaper or shellac—but I'll get it off." Mona bent over her plate. There was such a lump in her throat that she could hardly swallow, and the knives and forks and glasses swam to and fro like fish. When are you going to start putting stuff on your face, Mona? Inquired Rush virtuously. When are you going to start wearing a ring in your nose? Oh, Rush! I hate you! Cried Mona, and she sprang up from the table and fled from the room with a loud, undignified sob that came out of her like a hiccup. Up the stairs she ran blindly, up to the office with the door banged behind her, and then face down in the dark on the humpy old couch, which received her tenderly. She felt hurt and angry and silly and ashamed all at the same time. There was no comfort anywhere, nothing but the harsh fabric under her cheek that smelled of age and dust. Out of doors, people were walking in the street. Mona could hear their footsteps ringing on the pavement far below. Automobiles containing people whose families loved them hooted by in the winter night. I wish I could run away like Miss Pearl. Mona thought to herself, she would simply disappear, and then years later, when she came back to New York as a famous actress, they would all, Cuffy and everyone, come to her begging forgiveness, and she would be very sweet to them. Cuffy came into the office and creaked down on the sofa beside her. Go away," said Mona. "No, I won't," retorted Cuffy. "You sit up like you had some spine to you." Mona sat up. 
"'There's nothing to be breaking your heart about neither. "'Everybody does fool things once in a while. "'I shouldn't be surprised if it was good for "'Cuffy was stroking Mona's forehead. "'Her hand was rough from hard work, "'and yet it was soft at the same time. "'Mona sniffled and gulped. "'Above the distant noises of the city another sound, "'high up, purred across the night. "'Listen,' said Cuffy, "'Get up, child, and come to the window. Look out.' Every house in the street was bright with windows. A vast, luminous glow rose upward from the city, and high overhead against the stars there was a green star that travelled steadily. "'Look up at that,' commanded Cuffy. "'Nobody hardly looks up any more. We hear airplanes without listening to them. We aren't scared of them because they're as much a part of the way we get to places as buses or trolleys or railway trains. They won't harm us. We don't have to be afraid they'll drop bombs on us. And now look at all them buildings lit up like birthday cakes. There'll be lights all over this city until morning. We don't have to crawl through the black like moles. Not yet, anyway. Think of Oliver fast asleep in his little bedroom downstairs— "'and the good, comfortable bed you're going to go to sleep in soon. "'There's not going to be no loud noise to wake you up at midnight "'and send you down cellar like a scared animal. "'There's lots can't say the same. "'Right now, right at this minute, "'hundreds of children are fast asleep in subway stations "'or down in boiler rooms. "'Think of the good supper you didn't eat "'because you was too concerned about yourself. "'Right now there's hundreds of children.' "'Oh, Cuffy, don't!' sobbed Mona. "'I feel so cheap! I feel so cheap!' The red nails burned her fingertips like coals of fire. "'Well, now, well, now,' said Cuffy, patting her on the shoulder-blades. "'It's all right, my lamb. Just quit thinking you're the hub of the universe, that's all. As for the bobbed hair, I'm not sure but what I think it's a good idea. We won't go through such perdition shampooing it from now on, and the snarls will be scarcer.' "'But them nails! "'Seems to me like I read some place perfumery would take it off.' "'I have some perfume, Cuffy,' cried Mona, happy to make a sacrifice. "'You wait here.' "'In a moment she was back with Night on the Nile, "'the precious bottle which had never been opened. "'My!' gasped Cuffy as the top came off. "'Sort of blinds you, don't it?' "'I like perfume to be really strong,' Mona said, sniffing rapturously. "'I like it so strong that people can come into a room twenty-four hours after you've left "'and know that you've been there.' "'Well, this is strong, all right,' said Cuffy, scrubbing away. "'I bet it would take the veneer right off a piano, let alone them little nails of yours.' "'Soon the nails were in their natural state once more,' and both Cuffy and Mona were extremely highly scented. "'I feel like Lillian Russell,' remarked Cuffy. "'All I need is a picture hat, and diamond bracelets right up to my elbow.' Mona went down to the study to say good-night to Father. The desk was littered with papers and books, and above the confusion stood the little tang goddess, looking serenely into space. Mona held out her hands with their plain, unvarnished nails. "'That's better,' said Father, and took one of the hands in his. He sniffed inquiringly. "'We had to use perfume to get it off,' Mona explained hastily. "'It wasn't because of vanity this time.' Father laughed. "'You know, Mona,' he said, 
"'Maybe I'll get used to that hair of yours when it quiets down a little. "'Maybe I'll even like it. "'I suppose parents are always startled "'when they see their children showing signs of growing up for the first time.' "'Upstairs, Randy was already in bed. "'She watched Mona getting undressed. "'You look like a movie star, Mona,' she said. "'I feel as if I had Deanna Durbin or somebody for a roommate.' "'Never mind, Randy.' "'Mona reassured her as she went to open the window. "'In a day or two all the curls will be gone, "'and I won't look that way any more. "'Anyway, not for years and years and years.' "'The black night against the window made a mirror. "'Mona saw herself in it, "'long white nightgown and floating fluffy hair. "'It reminded her of something. "'She lifted an arm in front of her and let it drop hopelessly. "'Then she began to speak in a low, dramatic voice.' Thou know'st the mask of night is on my face, else would a maiden blush bepaint my cheek, for that which thou hast heard me speak to-night, fain would I dwell on form, fain, fain deny. Oh, Mona, honestly, groaned Randy, you can be Juliet to-morrow morning. You always start being Juliet the minute you put on your nightgown. You ought to wear pajamas like me. Come on to bed, I'm sleepy. "'Okay, okay,' Mona said. She opened the window wide, and in rushed the wild winter night, and knocked over a signed photograph of Jane Cowell. Mona switched off the light, leaped into bed, and burrowed under the covers. In a few minutes she was warm and cosy. The shade flapped against the window as it always did, and far overhead tracing its lonely path across the dark, she heard the hum of the airplane. She was safe in her bed, The house enclosed her in a shell of warm security, and all about, on every side, were the members of her own family who loved and understood her so well. She felt calm and happy. "'Good night, Mona,' said Randy's drowsy voice across the room. "'Good night, Rand, darling,' Mona said. And five minutes later she was deep asleep. And that is the end of Chapter 4 of The Saturdays.'